0: to read uh, the passage that we read last week in just a minute in in Matthew 10. Um, This is Jesus sending out the 12 disciples in the book of Matthew to do ministry. And we've been looking at this through a very practical lens, asking what can we learn from Jesus' instructions as we follow him on mission? What can we learn from what he told the disciples about how to follow him in mission in the world? Um, And I think there's all kinds of just really practical things in this passage. This passage and the others like it in Mark and Luke have been really helpful for us, very practical for us in how we discern what God is doing in the spaces that he has put us in, in work, in our families, in our neighborhoods, out on the street, wherever he's put you. And asking what God is doing there. Great question to ask in mission, by the way, is just, what's next, God? Um, Often, like with my friend who I got to interact with this last week, um, I'm often leaving those conversations just saying, what's next, God? You know, what do you have next in this relationship? What do you want to do next in this person? It's really his story that he's writing, but we're chasing God and following him in that, right? Um, And so, uh, yeah, I think there's just some really practical stuff for us here. So, We're going to begin today, we haven't been doing this in previous weeks, but today I want to begin reading in Matthew 10, verse 1, instead of verse 5, and it's because now that we've broken down this chapter together over the last few weeks, I think it's good for us now to pull back and see what Jesus is saying um, from a bigger picture kind of context, and to remember something key about this passage, and it's that... Um, the context of all of Jesus' instructions are that Jesus is telling them to go out in teams. All right? So he's sending his disciples out. It particularly says it in Mark, um, in the parallel passage in the Gospel of Mark. It says that Jesus sent them out two by two. So he gathers his 12 closest disciples. And then he sends them out in teams. The gospel of Mark tells us two by two. And we know that this is the case also because Jesus in his ministry doesn't just send out these 12. There's another passage where he sends out a much larger group of people. We know that there were women who were also following him. We know that from the gospel of Luke, women who were included, numbered in his disciples. So he's sending these disciples out and he's often sending them out in teams, all right? And it's that team aspect that I want us to think about today when we think about what it means to follow Jesus on mission i wanted to mention this last week and then when kiara closed the service down at the franklin avenue last franklin avenue service last week she mentioned this and it was what i had been praying about in the morning so i wanted to circle back to this and remember that cuz I, I don't know if you guys know this but like american culture you know sociologists study like different aspects of different cultures around the world, and one of the continuums they'll study is is this an individualistic culture or is this a communal culture? There's some cultures that are very, very communal, right? That the emphasis is on the group and not the individual. There's other cultures where the emphasis is on the individual and not the group. Um, what do you think we are in America? Individual, right? Not, not only individual. But, and by the way, you can see this in our founding documents, right? This is enshrined in our language, right, as a culture. Um, but not only are we an individualistic culture, but sociologists tell us that we are the most individualistic culture in the world, all right? So this is, a, like, this is a main feature of what it culturally means to be an American, that we see ourselves as individuals. Now, sometimes that creates a disconnect when we read our Bibles, because the Bible was written in more of a communal culture. The story of God with his people and the scriptures just took place in a culture that would have emphasized more of the group instead of just the individual. Um, And so it's easy for us to read passages like Matthew 10 and think about, okay, how do I as an individual apply this? And that's not a bad thing to do. But I think an even better question to ask is, how do we as a family on mission apply this? How do we in relationship with each other Take what Jesus is saying here and make it real and practical and tangible in our lives. So we're going to back up and start in verse 1. And remember that when Jesus gives these instructions, he's not just giving it to an individual. He's giving it to a group of people that he is training, discipling, um, teaching them how to do it. And then he's sending them out in groups as well. Um, So I'm going to read this first part and then there's part of it we'll read together. Jesus called the 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Let's read together like we have the last few weeks. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Amen. All right. Quick review through this passage like we've been doing previous weeks. I don't know if everyone is catching every message, so we're just going to move through these review slides quickly. Um, We said, first of all, that Jesus identifies territory. Um, He tells the disciples to stay close to him because he's training them and he, he doesn't want them to go too far so they can keep debriefing. But we said that all mission starts in the territory that God has given us. It starts in the context of our relationships and the places that he's always put us. It is true that sometimes God will lift us up and put us in a totally different context. But I think most normally today, he's asking us to follow what he's doing, to discern what he's doing, and join him in it in the place that he's put us today. We said that Jesus gives all of his authority To the disciples. The authority doesn't belong to the disciples. It's his authority, but he does give it to them. He shares what he has to heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, preach the gospel of the kingdom. In other words, to face everything out there in the world um, where sin and Satan has wreaked havoc, where even death has taken the lives of people, Um, Jesus shares with us the kingdom so that all of those things can be addressed. So what's wrong can be made right, what's chaotic can be made ordered. Um, That's what it means for the rule and reign of God to come. And then Jesus encourages disciples to embrace intentional poverty, to embrace their weakness, to take nothing with them. And we've been saying that uh, the starting point in mission is not what you have, but actually what you don't have. It's leaning into what you feel like you don't have and expecting God to show up in those places. As we rely on him radically, we create space for him to do the things that only he can do. Um, the next week, we said um, to go where the grace is, um, to follow where the grace of God is moving in relationships, and as we do, to find what we call persons of peace. This is what Jesus means when he says, find a home to stay at. If they open their home to you, then let your peace or your greeting rest there. Um, it's so much easier to follow Jesus' in mission when we just follow where he's given us grace in relationships. And he hasn't given us grace in every relationship. He hasn't given us grace in every context. But where he has, we can follow him in those places. And if that relationship closes, if our message is rejected, if people aren't interested, so on and so forth, uh, we have the liberty to move on and to trust that person's future to God, to trust that God is judge and that he will accomplish his purposes in this person's life. And then last week, um, we said that risk is real in mission. Jesus motivates the disciples to heal the sick, cast out demons, go do it, find relationships that you can be involved in, homes that you can stay in, and then he gets real with them. He tells them that there is no mission without both risk and suffering. And it doesn't matter how long I have been on mission with Jesus, it feels like there's always some kind of new risk, um, some new place of discomfort that he's asking me to step into. What's uncomfortable for me might be different than what's uncomfortable for you, but the truth is that we grow in the places where God is stretching us and where we take a faith-filled risk to trust him in the place where he's leading us, and there is suffering and mission. We were saying last week there are places around the world today where believers are suffering far greater than we are, but even for us, there's no following Jesus in mission without some kind of suffering, the suffering of disappointment or the suffering of leaning into our own weakness or you know, the suffering of having to wait as we wait on God to cultivate the thing that only he can cultivate in someone's life. Um, that kind of pain is going to be real mission. But we said last week, Jesus tells his disciples, right, that even in the place where they're arrested, standing before a council that's seeking to condemn them, That even in that place, God's grace has gone before. His love is there. He's provided for that place of suffering. Jesus tells the disciples, you will not have to worry about what to say because you will have the words because I have already gone ahead of you into that place and given you everything that you need. And this is the secret to being on mission with Jesus through the risk and the discomfort is growing in the love of God, right? The more I'm loved, the more I can stand in those places with him. The more I know I'm loved, the more I can risk, right? Right? But mission begins and ends in the love of God, right? And God filling me with his love. And the more I know I'm loved, the more I can follow him in these ways. All right, today I want to talk about really all of that, but in the context of being in community together. I'm going to try to do this just in a few minutes. I want to encourage you as we think about how Jesus is saying this, not just to an individual, but to a group of people. I want to encourage you today as you are on mission to find a team To find a team that you can do it with. Um, Jesus provided for this in the way that he organized his disciples and sent them out. By the way, a team for Jesus sometimes was just two people. So a team for you might literally just be one other person to do mission with. Now, let me tell you something about teams in the kingdom of God. Teams in the kingdom very often are formed differently than teams are formed in the world. I don't know if you have any memories, like bad memories, about not being picked on a team. You know, <laughs> Well, number one, in God's kingdom, everyone has a place on the team. right? But this is not a popularity contest. It's not about just affinity in interests or personalities. As a matter of fact, my experience in mission um, is that God will put people beside you in mission on your team that you never would have guessed it's very often the people who we least expect that God ends up putting that person by our side. Um, I could really preach a whole sermon just on this, but if we were to really dig into the list of Jesus' 12 disciples, what a mess of a group of people, right? (laughs) And really, in so many ways, nothing like each other. Um, They're on different ends of the political spectrum of the day. Uh, They have different temperaments, um, these, this is a group of people, d- different vocations, this is a group of people who probably would not have hung out with each other if they hadn't formed their team around the person of Jesus. But this is what we find here and all over the world, that when Jesus is forming a team, he brings people together who otherwise never would have been together because he's not just looking at who the world says should get along, right? Right? He's asking how these people are going to journey with him and what he's doing in the world and how he can get the most glory out of it. And so if God puts a Democrat and a Republican on the same team and tells them to do mission, he's probably going to get more glory out of that story, right? Than people who are just, you know, uh, like each other or something, right? Um, So I want to encourage you. You do not have to be on mission alone, um, when, I, when we first started in Aliquippa, there was a season where I felt more alone than what I do now. I was never truly alone. Um, but there was a short season where I felt pretty alone. Um, and I would never go back to it. Um, because number one, it's not fun. But secondly, I just don't think that's how God designed it. Um, even if you're a pioneering type Um, even if God has put some of that gifting on you, I still think it's better to go with someone. You know, this is where, like me and Steve, really started to get to, I mean, we knew each other for a long time, but really where we started to get to know each other and hang out was because I was going alone into neighborhoods, you know, to get to know people, and some incidents happened, doesn't matter what they were, I I eventually realized that this was not a good idea for a number of reasons, Um, more so on a spiritual level than anything to do with safety or anything like that. Um, I just realized, when we're on mission, it's a battle, and we're stepping into places, it's vulnerable, the enemy wants to do things. It's just better for me to go with someone. Steve was, you know, still had a corporate job, and I just asked him to start walking around the neighborhood with me. You know, we didn't even really know what we were doing. Um, but I just asked him to start walking around the neighborhood with me. That might be all it takes. For, and please, don't, you're loved by God, you can ask people to be on your team, for real. Don't just wait to be picked for a team, seriously. Just ask someone to be on your team. And even if they say no, you're loved, right? You're loved by God and move on and ask the next person, right? Hey, I want to serve at this homeless shelter with somebody. Will you come with me? Um, You know, hey, I'd I'd like to, you know, collect something. (laughs) Low on ideas today. (laughs) It's 1,000 ideas for mission. You can figure it out. <laughs> but but, but whatever, whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing, invite someone into it, all right? Um, find a team. And when you find the team, and if you have trouble finding a team, then ask us. We'll help you find a team. Um, then do this. Do the stuff together. Grow and learn together and suffer together. Do the stuff together, grow and learn together, and suffer together. First of all, do the stuff together. By this, I'm talking about the stuff of the kingdom of God, healing the sick, casting out demons, following Jesus into people's pain and suffering, learning to hear the spirit and do what he says. We learn so much better to do this stuff when we do it with other people, you know, I remember there was a season where this stuff, this stuff we've been talking about the last few weeks was so um, uncomfortable for me that it felt like a risk for me to even um, tell my teammate uh, what I thought God was telling me, you know? But let me tell you, the more you can do that with somebody, the more you can tell somebody, hey, I think God might be you know, telling me to do this, and I think I need to do it, the more you can verbalize that to someone who's on your team, even if it's just that one other person, the more you'll learn to hear God's voice with accuracy and obey. I'm going to share a few stories today from Bell Glade, Florida, a community of, you know, migrant workers that we've been in touch with for many years. It's a place where we've seen God extend his hand in miracles. We have a lot of stories from there, Um, But I remember one time I went down just with one of my friends and we were practicing, because I think it's good to practice and this is what Jesus is doing with his disciples. We were just practicing listening to God and doing what he says. This is like Discipleship 101, right? Just learning to hear God and do what he says. So this is what we were doing, you can do it different ways, but we were sitting in a room and we would say, God, speak, your servants are listening and we would write down what we thought we heard, right? So, we're sitting in this room at this church in Bellevue, just me and my one other friend. God speak, your servants are listening. And I'm like writing down, like, I have like 20 things. I'm like, boom, 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 probably all of it's made up in my mind. But I'm like, you know, writing down these things, you know, that I think I hear. But we were just learning to take risks and be open with it, right? My one friend's sitting there for the longest, and he's not writing anything. I definitely notice. He's just sitting there quietly, not writing anything, not writing anything. Finally, I see him write one thing and then he slips the piece of paper like underneath the table, you know? And so I had all this stuff. Okay, you know, our time of listening ends. I'm like, here, I think I heard all this stuff. You know, I'm not sure, it could be me. It could be what I ate last night, but I think I heard all this stuff. Like, um, you know, what did what did you think you heard? And you could tell he was embarrassed to like show me the paper. Um, he shows me this piece of paper and what's on it are the words Tweety Bird, all right? Tweety Bird. So this is the one thing he has written down on his piece of paper. <laughs> Tweety bird, a word from the Lord. Tweety Bird, <laughs> right? And you can tell he's embarrassed and secure about it, but he took the risk to share it with me, right? Well, we go out into the community, and um, guess who we end up talking to? This this not Tweety Bird. <laughs> We end up up talking to this woman who's standing by her car, and on her steering wheel, she has one of those decorative, I don't know, you know, steering wheel covers. And guess who's on her steering steering Yeah, Tweety Bird. So we don't say this to her, we just notice it. And it's like, who knows? But that's a weird thing, you know? Um, But. In conversation, she ends up sharing very naturally. I'm sharing neck stories today, apparently, um, that she has, like, neck issues. She's in a lot of pain. We end up praying for her, and she gets healed right there. Tweety bird um, is what led us there and gave us, like, faith to believe that God could do something there. But I'm just saying I haven't grown in those ways without doing it with someone else. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be random, like out on the street like that. It could look like you sharing with a friend, hey, I feel like God wants me to initiate this conversation with a coworker," Or, you know, I've been praying for this parent, you know, at the soccer field, and I feel like God might be leading me to invite them over for dinner. Sharing that with somebody else helps you learn to do the stuff together, right? I'm taking the risk to share. I think we, we I th- honestly, I think a lot of us hear God a lot more than we think we do. But we've never brought it out into the light, and it just passes through, and we just get so used to it. We never share it with anyone to see if anything would come of it, you know. So sometimes it just the risk is just doing it together, right? Next, grow and learn together. Um, when we're out there doing it, um, we learn all kinds of ways. Um, that God is working that we might not have expected. Now, this seems so obvious to grow and learn together, but it's really not as obvious in many of our churches as we would think. Let me tell you why. I think many, many churches are filled with opportunities to grow in the Lord that do not involve mission at all. Um, A lot of what we call spiritual formation or growth in our churches looks like being in a room with other believers and learning information, right? Um, and I'm not putting that down because there is a place for that. As a matter of fact, I bet Jesus did some of this. When I imagine Jesus traveling with his disciples, I imagine them sitting around a fire at night and Jesus teaching them about the kingdom of God. You know, so I imagine those moments. We ought to have them too. And we do in our church and in the network. There are those spaces, right? For trainings and Bible studies and all those kinds of things. We need more of those things, not less. I'm not putting it down at all. But when I'm saying Jesus developed his disciples by being with them on mission, right, it was as they were serving, it was as they were taking risks, it was as they were out there doing it. And let me tell you, it's so rich when we learn, when we learn to follow Jesus on mission with each other because... So much happens in the interior of our souls. It's not just about learning to do mission. All kinds of other things happen too. For instance, if we really start to follow Jesus with a team on mission, your own insecurities and fears are going to surface, right? Um, mission has a way of surfacing that. All kinds of emotions are going to get triggered that probably wouldn't get triggered in a Bible study. You know what I mean? Um, I'm, not putting, I'm not putting that down at all, but I'm just saying especially the more churched you are, the more you can probably hold it together in in a room filled with other Christians, right? But when we start to take risks, when we start to serve, things get surfaced in us. And, And this has been our testimony here in our network, is that the more we follow Jesus on mission, the more he begins to work holiness into us The more he begins to impart joy to us, the more he deals with our fears and insecurities, our wounds are likely going to surface. You do not have to wait for all that to happen before you get on mission. It's getting on mission that will surface those things. It's serving with some, and particularly with other people, because we can't hide it then, right? Um, I love, this is speaking of Belgrade, this is really why I love to take people there. And I can't wait until after this pandemic season to get back down there. We were supposed to be down there in July, and the trip got canceled. But I can't wait to take people down there again. And here's why. It's because all week, we're growing together, right? Um, we're coming back from praying for people, and we're having to process our fears, our disappointments, our wounds are coming out, and they're coming out in front of other people who know and love and trust us, right? And we trust them, right? Right. So mission creates this team, being on mission as a team creates this place where real growth can happen in our lives. Um, This is why, uh, you know, we have in our network things like missional communities. Missional communities in our network, if you're familiar with that, these gatherings that happen in homes or in other places, um, besides the church typically, um, are for us not only what the church has, if you're familiar with church language, what churches have typically called small groups. I'm not putting small groups down at all. It can be a wonderful thing, beautiful thing, meaningful thing, but we have found it helpful that if if we're going to gather together in a small group of people, that we should also be on mission together, right? Because it's being on mission together, it's serving together in missional community, right? That's probably going to create a different level of growth that, that we wouldn't experience if we were just hanging out. You see what I'm saying? Okay, and there are seasons for just hanging out. I'm not putting that down. There are seasons for just being together in the Word. There's seasons for just being together in prayer. But I'm saying I think many of our churches are overloaded with those kinds of opportunities and few opportunities to really be on mission together, right? We've got to be on mission together. And lastly, we get to suffer together. And maybe this is connected to the first two points because suffering together is the place where so much of our growth happens, I'm Speaking of Belglade, let me tell you a story because I think the story is a kind of parable for what every single person goes through in their emotional life in some kind of way if we're following Jesus in mission together. I was down there years ago with a group of teenagers. I love to take our teenagers down there because they end up seeing people get healed and they get to be part of some extraordinary things while they're down there. And so um, it changes them, you know, like you can't forget that stuff. You don't have to see very many healings, right, before you're kind of ruined for healings, (laughs) right? (laughs) You want to see more, right? And so I love to take our teenagers down there. Um, Well, one time I went down there, and this typically happens. Um, we, We go down there with this group of teenagers, and like Jesus does with his disciples, you know, cast out demons, and heal the sick. You know, we get them all, like, amped up. Like, we're going out, and we're going to pray. Everyone's excited. That's kind of where everyone starts in mission, right? It's like, it's like this is exciting. Let's do it together. Let's do this stuff, right? Well, as the week wore on, we're coming back, and we love this phrase, right, at the Gospel tab. We're in it for the stories. People are coming back, you know, every day, every night, and they're telling these stories about how they heard God and did what he said, or they saw someone get healed, or... They saw a demon manifest and dealt with it in the name of Jesus or like all this stuff. But there were three teenagers who didn't see anything all week long, right? And so by the end of the week, they're kind of like, what about us? You know what I mean? Like, we felt called to stuff. What about us? But there isn't a missionary. We're all missionaries, right? There isn't a missionary who doesn't experience this up and down. this kind of emotional journey and following Jesus. This like, this is amazing and what about me? And think about how deep it is. Does God love me? Is something wrong with me? Are these people better than me? Think about all that's surfacing in the souls of these teenagers. It's a golden opportunity to grow together, right? And suffering is what's creating it, right? But you don't have to do it alone. You can do it with other people, right? You can do it with people who love you. And so we ended up saying, okay, like, number one, we had to minister to what they were feeling, right? Um, Feeling like they're left out, feeling like other people might have something they don't. We have to deal with that, with the truth of God's word, right? That none of us are orphans, amen, in the kingdom of God, that we all can receive the kingdom, that no matter the reason for this, it has nothing to do with their identity or God's love for them. What a great opportunity in the hard space to walk together, right, through that. Um, but we ended up praying through some things together, and faith began to grow. And I'm not gonna have time to share the whole story. Um, but we ended up going out into the community that afternoon because one of these teenagers felt like we should go stand under this certain tree by an apartment complex. And this woman from across the parking lot ends up walking up to us and saying, Are you looking for someone? And we were like, Well, maybe, you know, we're here, you know, praying. And she had had a dream the night before that God had put someone on, in that spot in the parking lot and that she was supposed to connect with them, right? So now, and by the way, that woman is still a friend of mine. She's one of my intercessors. Um, long story, but she's still in Belgrade and she prays for me all the time. All this stuff happened in her life. I, in the hours that followed that interaction with that woman, it was just like the book of Acts happened. We saw it in just a few hours so much stuff happened as the Spirit of God fell in that neighborhood, right? Um, And that's what mission is like. It's like, this is amazing, oh, this is terrible. Oh, this is amazing, oh, this is terrible. I'm just saying, don't do that alone. Do it it with other people, because it is that kind of journey. Do it with other people, right? Um, You don't have to be alone in that. Um, I find that powerful, that we can do it together. Now, here's where I'm gonna end. If we're doing this stuff together, if we're growing and learning together and we're suffering together, I have just kind of two, and maybe these should have been different sermons, I don't know. But here's just like two tips about being a team on mission. Um, First of all, if you're gonna be on a team and mission, whether it's one other person or five other people or like Jesus, you know, 12 or 13, the 12 and Jesus. um, Whatever the size of the team you're gonna be on, You have to let your wish dream of community die before you can really enjoy the community that God is giving you. I'm stealing this language from a theologian and pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was eventually martyred by the Nazis because he was part of the resistance in Germany during World War II. And while he was on the run, while their segment of the church that was trying to remain faithful to the scriptures was on the run from the Nazi government, Um, they were forming community together. You know, they were living together in the context of this suffering. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called Life Together that talks about Christian community, and this is one of his, the main things he says in that book is that if we're really gonna step into Christian community, uh, you have to let your wish dream die of what you think that should look like. Um, Because we all have a wish dream, right? Um, We're hungry for community, God made us hungry for community, and we think it's going to be this amazing, ecstatic, pain-free experience. And even on mission, it's not like that. One time, this is years ago, so I can talk about it openly, there was a couple who was considering attending our church, they only came for a few weeks before they dropped out of things, and I'm not surprised at all, um, because we were definitely too much of a mess for them. Um, and and I can tell you why it's because they had been on a mission trip, like a week long mission trip. I think it was somewhere in the Caribbean, and they said we want to be on mission and we just want to be part of a church that feels like that week. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, we aren't that church. <laughs> I mean, like, um, and they were like, they were like, you know, like no one was arguing. Everyone got along for one week. Like we. You know, there were no disagreements. I'm like, "You really? You made it a whole week, like, <laughs> without without any of that happening? Have you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Look at how look at how Jesus's team. Jesus is always having to step in and be like, "Guys, stop that! Like, you can't talk to each other like that, right? I'm um, trying to one up each other. You're trying to your pride is getting in the way. Jesus is always having to deal with this stuff with his team. Um, so if If we wanna be part of mission with a team, and this for us involves all of our selfish motives about what we think other people should be for us, we're never gonna last on a team. Um, Honestly, teams that are on mission, in my experience, are often conflict-rich environments. Um, They are environments where we disagree, where we don't see eye to eye, where you're up and I'm down, and sometimes I'm up and you're down, and we have to figure all that out because our souls are surfacing in the midst of mission. And the sooner that wish dream dies, the more we can begin just to love each other for where we're at today, with all the baggage that we bring to the table, recognizing that what's bringing us to the table is not what baggage we had or didn't have, but that Jesus called us. That's what unifies these disciples. Jesus called them so they could be together. And then lastly, make it about the mission and not what you're against. Now, I'm saying this in this cultural moment a few weeks before an election to remind us what missional teams are and what they are not. Um, I said a few weeks ago that we are living in an age of tribalism. What happens when you have unrestrained individualism, which is what we have had in our nation for a long time, when you have individualism that is on steroids, individualism that has run rampant, um, that leaves a part of the soul hungry for something that it has not gotten Um, Namely, relationships or community. Um, As much as we try to define freedom as unrestrained individualism, there is also part of us that wants to be restrained by love. That wants to be restrained by community and commitment. Um, There's part of our soul that wants that, right? We just don't know how to get it in our culture. And so what we're seeing now, and COVID is accelerating all this, is the formation of tribes. Um, these very particular groups of people who form around a very particular interest, a particular hobby or a particular life experience or a particular experience of injustice or a particular um, way of engaging culture or a particular political position, the list goes on and on. Um, And I would say this is not necessarily in and of itself bad As a matter of fact, it presents a missional opportunity for us. Oh, God has been moving towards tribes for the longest, right? And to follow him on mission is to deploy missionaries to particular tribes who can speak that tribe's language. It's why I've been suggesting to us that the days of primarily reaching our community through a huge cookie-cutter service that reaches all kinds of people, I'm not saying there isn't a place for that, But I'm just saying our network is deploying specific missionaries to specific tribes of people that I'm not sure we could ever get in a room on Sunday morning. Um, So that's the strategy. That's just us. That's just the strategy I feel like God has given us. Um, And so we want to keep deploying missionaries to tribes. And we're part of a movement that's been doing that for a long time. So see the missional opportunity in it. I mean, it's amazing. The question of every missionary, right, is what language does this tribe speak? What does it look like for the gospel to become part of this tribe? What does it look like for the rule and reign of God to manifest in this tribe? Wonderful questions to ask and questions our network leaders are asking and having together. Um, I love all of that. But here's the danger in the day in which we live. The tribes that are forming today in our culture, and I would add into this Europe and Australia, are not only tribes that surround Okay, here's our common interest or our mutual affection or what we're passionate about. Tribes today are also forming around here is who our enemy is. You can feel it in our culture, can't you? Violence forming between tribes. This is as old as human civilization. Um, And it's interesting because around the world, last week I was talking about how I was in Sri Lanka. uh, you know, a few years ago. You know, the believers in Sri Lanka had themselves been persecuted. We were, Steve and I were with those persecuted pastors that I was mentioning last week. Um, you know, we had spent time with them, and they had been subject to persecution, but the, the persecution that they experienced was almost a byproduct of tribes in their nation engaging in a, if you know anything about the history of Sri Lanka, a bloody civil war for almost three decades. And the questions they were asking was how do we be the people of God? How do we be peacemakers and reconcilers in the midst of a bloody civil war that sometimes lashes out against us too? I'm just saying, it's not out of the realm of possibility that we have to ask those same questions in a culture of tribalism, in a culture where violence is growing between tribes. So I just want to show you this last verse, I'm going to be done. You know, there was a point when Jesus' disciples, it's recorded in Luke 9, tried to form this kind of tribe. Um, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So the situation's getting more intense. Emotions are higher. He's heading towards Jerusalem. He's already prophesied his own death. And he sent messengers on ahead who went to the Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him. Remember, the Samaritans are opposed to the Jews. These are different tribes, right? Because he was heading for Jerusalem. And then look at this. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven? They've gotten real confident in their abilities. <laughs> Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And I guess I'm ending this morning with this kind of warning and exhortation. Especially in election year, it is important to remember that whatever team we're part of is not formed around what we are against. I don't care how righteous the issue It's important for us to remember because we are a people, a network, a church committed to justice, and we are called to speak up for the oppressed. We will never stop doing that, God willing, here. And yet, we are not a people who are identified just by what we're against. Jesus doesn't just tell his disciples to be against something, and he won't let them do it here. He wants them to be for something, for the kingdom for the rule and reign of God, for the kingdom invading earth. And I think there's a danger in a tribalistic time of getting distracted by just being against things. Um, All kinds of people are gonna be voting soon, mainly over what they're against, right? Um, The rhetoric is getting stronger, all of that. And And you know, you gotta vote how you're gonna vote. But I'm just saying, our teams aren't defined by that. We're defined by something far richer, far more important, by what we're for. And we're not just for a political position or an ideology. Or We are for the rule and reign of God in every tribe, every language, every people group, right? We're for God manifesting himself in all of these places. Amen?